Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Well, good morning and welcome. We are going to start John chapter 16 today. There are only six chapters left. Six beautiful chapters. And we are in the middle of this kind of lengthy discourse that John gives us of the the incredible words that Jesus built into his disciples that last night of his life before the cross. And so John 16 is, uh, is where we'll begin. I think we'll look at the first 11 verses today, but uh, let us begin with our prayer. If you have your prayer before the study of Scripture, if you have the cards, anybody need one? You all set? Okay. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing, the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. It's, it's proper either way. Amen, amen. If you sing it, and choirs, they'll always teach you, ah, drop that A, you know, amen, unless you're singing some kind of spiritual, gospel-y style, amen, but it's proper either way. Um, I think amen is more formal, you know, just depending on what, what the maybe the minister who's leading a more formal prayer will usually hear, be heard to say amen, but it can go either way. It's a Hebrew word uh, that kind of translates into, uh, it's it's been transliterated, I mean, we just, that literally is Hebrew, and, and everyone just says, Amen. So, so be it is what it means. So be it. Let it be. May it be this way according to your word, O oh Lord, that sort of thing. It's kind of an affirmation, if you will. Or true. this is true. Let it be so. Jesus, in, his, uh, in the Gospels, when we see him saying things like, Truly, truly, I say to you, its literal rendering is, Amen, Amen, I say to you. Uh, so there's there's the meaning, truly or verily. Uh, good question. As we look at chapter 16, Jesus is, has been saying so much to his disciples, and he is kind of building into them these last words, final words of advice and final words of teaching, uh, of encouragement, but yet also warning. And we're going to read this morning how he's warning them of some things to come. I'm going to apologize right now for my <clears throat> my voice. My, in, I'm going to have to stop and blow my nose. I hate to do that. But I just, I don't know whether it's allergies or cold, but I am struggling with something here. So 
my apologies. Jesus is warning them of the coming persecution they are about to face. So let's begin chapter 16 with this uh, verse 1 where Jesus says, you know, everything I've been telling you is for this reason. So let's, let's follow along here. I'm going to read 11 verses. I have said all of this to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Let's stop there. <clears throat> this is quite a warning. Um, I don't know about you, but it would be startling to me if our rabbis, our teachers, our pastors uh, got up in our pulpits in 21st century America and said to us, uh, I need to warn you because uh, I know you've enjoyed being Christian for these last few years, but uh, it turns out that there's a lot of people that are about to want to kill you. And they're going to persecute you like you've never been persecuted before. But take heart, because I've said these things to you, and I'm warning you now so that you don't fall away. How would that make you feel if you were told that? Yeah. It's kind of like one of those things you can't explain. It's just like leery in a way, but leery's not the right word. It's kind of like... It's a it's an unusual feeling at best. I mean, here are these disciples, these eleven now uh, that are with Jesus, and they've been with him three years, and they've heard him say things like "I'm going away." They never quite figure that out. They never put all the pieces together. Uh, remember back in John 14, he said, "Don't let your hearts be troubled." That's a couple of chapters ago, but still on the very same night we're talking about. He can tell their hearts are troubled. I mean, that just nothing seems right right now. That he, Jesus just keeps talking about death. He keeps talking about going away. And they're not pressing him to figure out, now, where are you going? Why are you going? Who are you going to? They're not asking those questions. They're just seeming very troubled. And, uh, and i I got to admit, I'd be pretty troubled by that news. You know, we, you said you was going to die. Yeah. There's he, a lot of things that would go in your head. Yeah. In fact, he's telling them, not only are you going to be persecuted, 
there's going to be a time when the people that try and kill you are going to think they're worshiping God for killing you. That's a holy war, you know. That's, that's exactly what happens with this term in Arabic, jihad, that we hear so much in the news because of the terrorism in our world today. That word in Arabic means a holy war, uh, meaning something that is offered as sacrifice to God. That's exactly what he's saying is about to happen to them. And, you know, the Apostle Paul is kind of living proof of that, isn't he? The Apostle Paul, we remember as we study his life, uh, when we study his life, he was a persecutor of the Christians. He was a Jewish Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to his own word, and as zealous to go and persecute Christians, to have them sought out, hunted down, and killed. And he thought it was worship of God. Of course, till God got a hold of his heart and turned him around on that Damascus road. So this, this is real stuff here. And, and Jesus is, is, is showing them, he, but he, he says, I've said all of this for one reason. I've given you all these warnings. I'm teaching you all of this tonight for one reason. And what's that reason? So they don't fall away. What does it mean to fall away? Let's think about that just a little bit. I'm going to put a Greek word on the board for you. And it's an important word. Scandalizo. 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 This is the Greek word we find here. Okay? And it literally means... I'm saying all these things to you so that nothing trips you up. So that you don't fall into a trap. Okay? Now, the root word here in this is, is uh, it would be, this is a verb, but if it were a noun, it would be scandalone. What, what, do you hear something in English that we are used to? What? Scandalized or scandal. Yeah. There's some root word going on here that, that what, it, it's scandalous what's going to happen to you guys. Okay? It's scandalous. And, 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 and some, it's going to be scandalous the way they try and trip you up. So scandalozo means scandalizo. Yeah, this is the noun. Okay. And this is the verb. Yeah. So do not fall. It's so important that they not get tripped up. How easy would it be for them to get tripped up? Well, absent the Holy Spirit, it could be pretty easy. And that's why this passage, we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in, in just a few minutes. Because he's going to, he says, first of all, in verse 2, he says, here's the first thing they're going to do. They're going to want to put you out of the synagogue. Now, what does that mean? To put you out of the synagogue. What does that mean to them? It's kind of like we would think excommunicate. Yeah. So... Um, through the, we don't hear that word in our churches. We don't really excommunicate people, but the historic church has many times excommunicated people. That you hear the root of that word commune, okay? Commune, like holy communion, like taking of the Eucharist, holy communion. If you were excommunicated, you were cut off from the communion cup. Okay, 
Could you still come to church? You could come to church, but they weren't going to serve you at the chalice okay, if you so came in the line. Basically, you could go there, but you had nothing to do with anything that they celebrated. Right. Because, and remember, throughout history, the real nourishment of the spiritual life of the Christian was to commune with Christ, to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ in communion. That is the goal of Christian worship, to become one with Christ through communion. And so to be cut off from that cup was a horrible, horrible thing. That's in, in Christian circles. Yes? That would make a person feel like an outcast. Absolutely, because that's what they were saying. You're being outcast. And so this is what they're talking about, but in Jewish terms, in the synagogue. The synagogue was the center of everyday life. Remember, not everybody lived in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there was the temple. And the temple, of course, was the literal house of God, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant had been and where the sacrifices were made. That was the temple where God's presence mystically dwelt. But in the outlying areas, there were many, many synagogues. The synagogue was something that grew up in Hebrew worship and teaching and cultural life after... I should say Jewish, because they weren't called Hebrews anymore by that point. After the fall of Babylon, after Judah had been taken away, so by the time Israel had, uh, the northern kingdom had been taken by the Assyrians, then the southern kingdom, Judah, was taken by the uh, captive by the Babylonians. That, that was in the 6th century before Christ. And so uh, in that time, the, and the, the temple was torn down. The temple that Solomon built was torn down. And so when the Nebuchadnezzar, when the king, not Nebuchadnezzar, was the one that took them captive, I think it was uh, Cyrus, I think, king of the Medo-Persians, that, that said, you can go back to the land. I think it was Cyrus. Um, and he said, you can go back. He released them. After 70 years of captivity, he released them. And they went back. You can read that story in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra in the Old Testament. Um they first, you know, they began to rebuild the city. Well, what they what they had, what they built were, they didn't rebuild the temple right away. That took a long time. They'd started to rebuild the temple, but it didn't get, at the time, uh, think about that, from, from, for, it took over 500 years to finish building the second temple. It just, it, it, it was never the glory of the first temple. It was never quite as glorious and grand as the first one. Is what they say for as glorious as it was. They wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known. <clears throat> the early generations would have, but they not the early, final ones. Yeah, no. They wouldn't have known. No, they wouldn't have because they didn't have pictures or anything. But but I'm sure people talked about it. You know, this wonder of the world, this amazing thing. But the synagogue took the place of communal life. It was a place where they went to hear the scriptures read. It was a place where they went to be taught about the scriptures. A rabbi would sit in the synagogue and teach the scriptures, like we're doing here today, you know, gathering for Bible study. That the synagogue was life, okay, it, everything. And the mar like the temple had the big squares where the, mar the markets happened in there, so did the synagogue. The synagogue was a place where they went for everyday life. If you couldn't be in the synagogue, you might as well not be Jewish, you know. You were cut off from all of your friends, all of your family. So this was the threat. They'd always threatened them with excommunication, if you will, to these Christians, these followers of Jesus. And he's saying, 
Jesus isn't saying they might. He's saying they will. You can expect it. They're going to put you out. Yes? So you said they're cut off from their family. Does that, what does that mean exactly? I mean, could they still eat and be with their family, or were they just outcasts from the family too? It, it would depend on uh, if the family... It, if the family rejected them because, like, part of the family stayed Jewish and part of the family uh, converted to Christian. Oh, okay. So, but the ones, yeah, the ones that stayed Jewish, they were often just shunned. They were cut off. So some of the families may have not shunned them, and some of them, the majority probably did. Yeah, it just depends on. Uh, we we don't know the extent to which they uh, shunned them because the realities are, if the let's say Mark and Debbie are father and mother here, and and let's say uh, they're Jewish, and you're their daughter, and they don't, you become a follower of Jesus, but they don't, and you've been put out of the synagogue, well, I mean, their heart's going to be torn, because if the synagogue finds out they're still treating you just like their daughter, and loving you, and accepting you, and doing everything, they might put them out too, call you a Christian sympathizer. So it was an ugly time. It was an ugly thing to do. And uh, it really robbed the people of their identity. Go ahead. Uh, what stuck out to me it was, and, and it might be kind of dumb, but you, they will put you out of the synagogue. Well, the only way they're going to put them out of the synagogue <coughs> is if they're following Christ. Right. It, I mean, I understand Christ had foreknowledge, I guess, or... Mm-hmm. God has foreknowledge, yeah, the knowledge of everything. But it just struck me that he's telling them mm-hmm. this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen. Probably complicating it was it's political, too. It was very political. I'm sure it was political, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the they hadn't... They hadn't faced the the arrest and the crucifixion yet. Mm-mm. No, no, but it hasn't. But he knows it's going to happen. Christ knows. Christ knows, yeah. Because he's and got divine knowledge as well as human he knowledge. He knew that those eleven, yeah, were going to be in a be followers of him. Yes, he knew. He knew who but, would stay with him and who wouldn't. I don't know. I just. And, it just, I don't know. It, it is striking. It is striking. And you're going to hear it even more as we get into chapter 17 when he starts to pray for these 11. And he talks about things like, you know, Father, these, these are the ones you've kept for me. Uh, no, none of them have been lost except the one marked out for perdition. He's, he's talking of Judas. That comes in chapter 17. So it is remarkable that he has this knowledge. Well, I just wonder... Okay, <laughs> why am I following you? <laughs> I, and you mean the disciple the might think that? Think, yeah, you know, yeah. Hear this. Uh, well, I think that's the what, question. Is it a? Was it affirmation to them that they are on the right path? Yeah, I, I don't. I think I don't it understand. would. I, it will be in hindsight. But I think that night it wasn't. I think in that night it was fear and trepidation because they're confused. I mean, they're so confused that in a few short hours they're going to scatter. Okay, when Jesus is arrested, they're going to scatter. Okay, 
See, if, the, if it was affirmation, they'd just be standing there with Jesus saying, you're going to arrest him, you're going to arrest me too. You know? But they can't do that. Why? Because they don't have the power. They don't have this comforter. They don't have this advocate, this paraclete yet. And this is what Jesus is going to, he, he reads it. He's going to go into it in just a few verses here. He's going to say, you have to have the Holy Spirit or you won't be able to do this. And, and so they're not getting it all, but they will. They will when the Holy Spirit comes. But, but I think that's the question, Mark, is how would we have heard it? Because really the point is put to us today. It's the same point. I know we don't feel it. In, in America, we feel so safe from harm because we have such religious freedom. But the truth is, the call to follow Jesus Christ is the call to die. The call to follow Jesus Christ is the call to persecution and suffering. And if we're not willing to do that, then we're not really his disciple. And this is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, verse 17, you are heirs with him if indeed you suffer with him. Jesus says things, I think it's in Matthew's gospel, where he says, if you're not willing to leave, if you're not, the way Matthew, I think, records it, I, I could get my references wrong here because it's not part of my notes. Matthew says, if, whoever doesn't hate his father and his mother and his brother and his sister in order to follow me is not worthy of me. And, you know, Jesus doesn't want us to go hate our family. But he was using that kind of hyperbole to state, you must love God and Jesus Christ as God above anything else, even above your own life, especially above your own life, because they're going to come for you. Now, <clears throat> you know, it's I'm 50-some years old, and and I'm sure that, uh, that's okay, I'm 58. I, I know how old I am. I just don't like to admit it. Um, at, at some point, you know, I'm, I, I know maybe, you know, how many years have I got left? 20 years? I don't know. Uh, if I'm lucky, but the point is, if I'm blessed, I should say, you know, maybe I'll make it out of this life before that kind of persecution hits really bad in America. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe Jesus will return tonight and we won't ever face that day. I don't know. But will my children? And did the, those in the generation just after me think that same thing? Did we all think that same thing as we approach the end of our generation? We all want the best for our future generations. But what Jesus is saying and promising them is there's no, there's no get-out-of-jail-free card here. Guys, this is a tough life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you had to be willing to leave it all for him. I know. Well, where we came from, there was a church where they put pressure on their kids if they didn't conform and join the church. Mm-hmm. Then they would cut off their inheritance. They weren't gonna where you came from? In, in, in your growing up years, you mean? The yeah, church where you came from? Years. In your married years. <laughs> Not that long ago, huh? No, no, it's the church where they... There was kind of a conformity feeling. Right. You you have to conform here. Right. Yeah. Mm, pressure, wow. And so in a way, I think, I mean, that reminds me of Jesus is saying, they're going to pressure you. We're going to cut you off your inheritance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, You're not going to mm-hmm. have anything if you don't conform to what we want you to do. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't make a living. So I can see now why it's saying forsake your mother and father yeah. and all that because they're yeah. going to, just like they did in that place in exactly. town. Exactly. 
Very true. There's pressure on you. What, what's your question back there, Rhonda? I didn't hear what you said, Debbie, about your, your church or something. A church. There's a church in our community where, um, yeah. Where they used to live. They're, yeah. They had that kind of pressure it put on families even kind of to conform. Bit, they're kind of like Mennonites. There are some Christian groups that have a very, uh, it's all about us. You, you can't go any other way. Right. And you've got to conform right. or else you're out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that. She There's wants a, to know if yeah. Would that be the cult? Well, it, it, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a cult, but I would call it a sect. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a subset of what's normative about Christianity, because Christianity does not teach that. We do not teach that. We do not teach that we're supposed to shun people, okay? A cult is, is, is uh, something that by definition is unorthodox. Okay, and I don't mean orthodox with a big O like the, the Eastern Orthodox Church. I mean with a little O, orthodox in right way of doing things. Uh, so a cult is someone that has a wrong, and, and wrong, te- literally the word orthodox means right glory. Doxa is the word glory in Greek. So right glory. Okay, so I'm not saying they don't have right glory because the, some of those little cult, cultic type sects of Christianity may teach the right thing about the Trinity. They may teach the right thing about, you know, their teachings might seem like their glory of God is right, but they have an unorthodox praxy. Orthopraxy is how we practice our faith. Mm -hmm. And they have a very unorthodox way of practicing that faith by shunning people. Uh, Amish are another one that are famous for that. Yeah. Well, it's not right to 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 shun people like that. But what Jesus, but what Jesus is warning them, and the reason this comes up is this is how stern the warning is. You're going to be put out of the synagogue to follow me. You're going to lose your way of life to follow me. You're going to lose your careers to follow me. Nobody nobody's going to want to buy your fish because you follow me. Nobody's going to want to. You know, it's just pretty serious stuff. Your children are going to be hounded because they follow me. You know, it's it's a it's a dangerous calling to be a follower of Jesus Christ in most of the world, except this little pocket that we know of with our safety and our blessings in, in America. Yes? Okay, you said a cult was an orthodox. What was a sect? Uh, a, a sect just means a subset of something. It's S-E-C-T. A subset? A sect, which means a subset of something, a section of it. That's where we get the word section or, you know, subset. Um, whereas... So could be the same thing. It's just a sect is not as big as a cult. Well, similar, yeah. Like cult, if I use the word C-U-L-T, it means unorthodox, okay, basically. If I use the word occult, you've heard of that word, right? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Uh, it, means it means evil, mm-hmm. wicked, okay? There's a big difference between cult and an occult. A cult is not necessarily wicked or evil okay. or all that wrong, just different, okay? Different way of doing things. Doesn't mean that it's evil or wrong. In, the, in that case, I don't approve of shunning, so I think that is wrong. But, um, but don't confuse it with occult, which would be like things of sorcery or witchcraft or you know, so evil things, Satan worshiping, yeah. those kind of things are occultic. Well, um, Jim Jones. Was, was the name the one that they, he had everybody <coughs> drink poison? He was 
occultic, okay, in that he was, but, but he quickly became occultic, okay. Uh, he, he became evil. <laughs> he became evil. When you lead people into to that kind of mass suicide, it's pretty evil. And, and, and just to, he became cultic because he called people into a, uh, a separate life, you know. He called them down to that place in Central America and, you know, and there are many of these type of cults happen where they separate from the world. But we're going to read in John chapter 17, we're almost there, where Jesus says, hey, I'm not telling the Father to take you out of the world mm-hmm. until I'm asking him to keep you in the world, mm-hmm. but to protect you and keep you while you're in the world. So, so a sect is a section or subset of, of a cult. Of a larger group. So if the larger group is Christianity, mm-hmm. then then let's just use the word Amish, okay? I'm not putting anybody down that's Mennonite or Amish. They're great people in many ways. I love them dearly. But they're a sect of Christianity. They're not a normal, they're not the normative expression. Is they have Mormons a different orthopraxy. What? Mormons. Mormons would be a separate religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really not the same Christian faith because, because it worships a different view of God. It does not worship the holy, the holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy yet? Spirit. What? Do Amish believe in electricity yet? Not that I know of. No. no. No, there are certainly Mennonites that do. You know, Mennonites descend from the Amish. There's different okay. groups. and There's where there's lots of sects, you know, right, yeah. within, within any of these. You know, we're the Church of the Nazarene, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox would call us a sect. Okay, we're a sect of Methodism. <laughs> the Methodists probably think of us as a sect. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, we kind of fell out from 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 along there. We're really a hybrid, is what we are, yeah. because all of all all of our uh, the truth is we're a hybrid. The Church of the Nazarene is a hybrid in many different ways. And 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 if you want to learn more about the origins and why, then yeah. when my class comes up called Foundations, okay, the 101 class, take that class. Even though you're a member, you, that, that's what mem- people that want to become members need to go through that class. But you'll learn a lot about the history of the church that maybe you didn't know uh, about why we're such a hybrid. So a sect could become a cult, and then, like, in, like you mentioned, that guy, and then there was the other guy in Waco, Texas. Yeah, David Chris. Really he was a cult that went that off went into the... Occultic. When you start telling people to kill themselves, that's evil. Yeah. I mean, let's face oh, yeah. it. That's evil. Um, so um, let's let's think through some things here. I, I want you to think about um, Jesus said that the reason they're going to do this to you is because they have not known the Father nor me. Okay, they're clearly not godly. They think they're godly, but they're not godly. They don't even know God. They don't know the Father God. They don't know Yahweh. They think they do, but they don't. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because if they did, they wouldn't do that. And, and then he says, I've said these things to you that when, the, when their hour comes, that you'll remember that I told you these things. Okay, And they're only going to remember because the Holy Spirit is going to help them. That's why he's called the helper. Okay, The counselor. The paraclete. The, now, um, and then he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Okay, what does Jesus mean by that? I didn't. I have. I've waited three years to tell you some of this bad news. I didn't tell it to you from the beginning. Why? Why does he say this? 
couldn't handle it then. <laughs> they not only could, you're right, they couldn't handle it then. They can't handle it now because they're going to scatter. But they will with the power of the Holy Spirit. But they didn't need it then because they had Jesus. They're about to not have Jesus. He's been the target all these last three years. Okay, they weren't trying to pick off Peter and Paul. I mean, Peter and James and John. These guys. They're, they're trying to. All along, Jesus has been the target. They're just his little band following him. Okay, but now, so so he didn't have to tell. But now it's time for him to leave, and so he needs them to know. Guess what? You're going to become the target. <laughs> You're going to become the target. Um, there's some words here I want to give you from Saint Cyprian uh, about this. He was uh, one of the early church. Uh, fathers, I think fourth century. I always get the dates wrong. Third or fourth century. Um, <clears throat> listen to this thought. No one should wonder that we are harassed with constant persecutions and continually tried with increasing afflictions when the Lord before predicted that these things would happen in the last times. Now think about when Cyprian's writing this in the Whenever the fourth century, a few hundred years after Jesus, they're they're being harassed still. I mean, this 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 uh, persecution is still happening and happens in waves off and on. But Cyprian finds the need to write to church followers about this. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. He's saying. Um, he goes on. He says, "For he, meaning Jesus, has instructed us for the warfare through his teaching and exhortations." Peter also. Now he's going to talk about Peter, the apostle. Peter also, his apostle, has taught that persecutions occur to test us. And he goes on to kind of paraphrase the book of 1 Peter. Uh, he says, we are to look to the example of righteousness, to the righteous who have gone before us and are to be joined to the love of God by death and sufferings. For he wrote in his epistle, beloved, and there's there he's quoting the epistle of Peter, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes on you to prove you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's a direct quote from the Apostle Peter's first book. Cyprian is quoting it. Peter went on. Peter got the message after he was filled with the Holy Spirit and became the great apostle and leader of the of the church. And he wrote in his epistle this same stern warning: "Just expect it. Don't be surprised when these fiery ordeals come upon you. It's going to happen." Um, so, verse five, Jesus goes on, and and he says, "But now I'm going to him who." sent me. Okay, clearly a, a direction to the Father. Jesus has to go away to the Father. But yet none of you ask me where where are you going? It strikes Jesus that they're not curious about where he's going. Um, and, and I guess that's, that is striking because I think in their humanity they just can't figure it out. You know, to him who sent me should have been a big clue. I'm going back to God the Father, you know. Uh, and he's also never left him either. That's right. He's, they're not used to him going away. So that's a little hard for... And remember, they're still believing. They've believed all along that Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah is going to reign on the temple seat from Jerusalem. They don't have this... 
they don't have this ability to see that Jesus meant I'm going to go away and then come again as my second coming. They, that we know now from the have, time of history, they didn't have that. They couldn't comprehend that he was going to actually leave his body right. and come back. Nobody in the Jewish faith was teaching us some second coming of the Messiah. That hadn't been developed yet. They, they didn't get that when they read the prophecy. Okay, It was only after uh, looking back through the gift of the Holy Spirit that they could teach this type of thing, um, this idea that Christ will come again. So that works its way into the creed. That's the final, the creed. You know, Christ, we believe Christ will come again. Um so he goes on and, and says, so your hearts are filled with sorrow. He can tell they're very sorrowful and, and very nervous and very struggling with everything. And so he says in verse 7, he, he needs to confirm to them, it's to your advantage that I go away. He, he's just trying to help them understand. Guys, I have to go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. I know that sounds weird, but it's to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. Because I have to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. Now, I want to talk about that a little. Why is that? What, what does that mean? If I go away, he says, for if I do not go away, the counselor, which is the paraclete here in the Greek, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Why is it that as long as Jesus was here with them physically, the Holy Spirit is said not to be able to come? Let's try and put that into perspective a little bit. Isn't the Holy Spirit everywhere? So in what sense could he be said to not be able to come if he's already here? He's everywhere. Because See, that's a little difficult thought for them. He couldn't be within us until Jesus left his body and came back. Okay, hold on to that thought. container of the Holy Spirit. Is the human body transforming into a spirit? I'm not sure if transforming is the right word, but it's the... No, we're created with that spirit. We have body, soul, and spirit in creation. But here, here's what I think he's trying to say. If Jesus never went away, he's going to always be recognized as the, 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 the crucified one. Jesus' role on earth to this point was for what? He was born to die. He was born to be humiliated. He was born to suffer. Okay? But the whole, that's not true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. Okay? The Holy Spirit reigns in power. And so we know that, yes, when Christ comes, he will physically reign, and all will be all, and his kingdom will have come in its fullness. But for now, the crucified one, who's going to be the risen one, but even when he's risen, he doesn't just walk into Jerusalem and take over the world. That's not the plan. Okay? He's got to go away. And he does, 40 days later in the ascension. Because he has to take our place. Because of our sin, the Holy Spirit could come within us. Well, he took our place in the cross. Yes. Okay, so that's, that's true. He took our place there. Okay. But he needs to go away so that we can become like him, and the only way we become like him, because in becoming like him, others are drawn to him. Right. Now think about this. This is, the, this is the heart of the mission. 
of the Christian faith. You've heard Pastor Mark say, I've kind of written this down, I've heard him say it several times, that our purpose here is to connect others to Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay? We are to be the light of Christ that draws people to the light. Okay? We can't do that unless we have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. Okay? We need that Spirit. The Spirit has to come in a very personal way. And for that to happen, Jesus says, I need to physically go away. I'm, Jesus is still with us. Okay? Spiritually. It, but, but he says, I need to physically go away. Don't worry, I'll come back again when it's time. They don't understand that yet. So, he, and he says, I'm going away for a purpose. And listen to this purpose. He, he's going to explain it to them. So when the Holy Spirit comes, verses 8 through 11, he's explaining something very important. He's explaining three reasons why he needs to go away and the Holy Spirit needs to come. Gives us three reasons. And those three reasons we find, uh, I'll, I'll write them here on the board, make some room on the board here, are for uh, uh, sin, okay, sin, Righteousness, and what's the third one? Judgment, right? Okay, sin, righteousness, and judgment. He says, first of all, I need to go away. The Holy Spirit needs to come so that he can convict the world of sin. To convince here, this word that he's using, is it means to convict people concerning sin, okay? Jesus can't be everywhere. I mean, you, if you were around Jesus and you heard his teaching, like on the Sermon on the Mountain, you'd be convicted of sin, sure. But Jesus isn't everywhere omnipresent. He was in physical form. Okay, But when he goes away and the Holy Spirit is totally omnipresent doing his work, he is convincing the world of sin. Okay, And righteousness. <clears throat> So how does Jesus can how does Jesus going away and the Holy Spirit come? It's kind of easy for us to see how how he convicts the world of sin because we get that. You know, the Holy Spirit is what convicts us when we fall under conviction. That that conscience, that voice of God within us tapping at our heart, teaching us when we're straying and erring wrong. But but how does he convince the world of righteousness by Jesus going away and the Holy Spirit coming? What does that mean? That's a little more interesting, a little difficult. I think it means that Jesus has to die and ascend because by ascending, well, die, resurrect, and ascend, by ascending he goes where? What does Scripture teach us? He goes to the right hand of the Father. He goes to reign in glory. He takes his place as God, as God's Son, resurrected, glorified, in glory, from the right hand of the Father. And there's no higher place, okay, the right hand of the Father. So the Holy Spirit convinces the world that Christ is righteous. He is reigning from the right hand of the Father. That's why. As long as he was walking the earth, he wasn't reigning from the right hand of the Father, and he would never be seen to be reigning as God. But now, through the eyes of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the world can be convicted of sin and see that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is the righteous one. He is our righteousness. 
And then thirdly, it says, <clears throat> because I go to the Father, you will see no more. So concerning judgment. And he just said that, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. It was so important that they not see him anymore physically. Because as long as they saw him physically, they were reminded of the humble servant. But to not see him, they know he's reigning in glory, the right hand of the Father. And then Jesus says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? Demon or devil? The devil, Satan. That's right. He's the ruler of this world. And Jesus says, if I die, when I'm resurrected, or I, I shouldn't say if, but when I die, when I'm resurrected, and when I have ascended and sit at the right hand of the Father in glory, the ruler of this world has now been judged. Forever and ever. Forever and ever and amen. That's right. That's right. It's glory, hallelujah. The, the, the ruler of this world has been judged. And with the Holy Spirit, it takes his power away, the ruler of the world, so to speak. It takes his power away over us as long as we have the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily because he has power <coughs> over the earth. Right. Just remember. He has power of choice whether we choose right or wrong. Right. Remember. He's going to tempt us every oh, yeah. chance he has because... He wants every soul that you right. can take with him. Satan appears to have not been judged. Yeah. Satan appears to have not been judged because he is so prevalent in our world. His evil ways are so prevalent in our world. His evil minions <laughs> are so prevalent in our world. So it appears that he has power in our world, but his power is limited. Okay. Jesus because Jesus has what? What is the ultimate power that Satan has over us? Death. Death. That's correct. The, la the, the ultimate power he can do is, is, is because of sin we die. Yeah. Because Adam and Eve followed his way right. rather than God's way we die. But Jesus has conquered death by death. That's why the old hymn says, trampling down death by death. He has overcome the grave. Mm -hmm. The final power that Satan had, the ruler of this world, has now been judged and he's been found uh, guilty. Mm -hmm. And he can't rule over death. Satan has no more power over death. You see? Satan has no more power over death because Christ rose from the dead. Satan only has as much power as you'll give him. Right. That's exactly right. We have to acquiesce. It's important for us to talk about that kind of spiritual battle because we're still in a spiritual battle. Okay, those, these apostles are about to go into the battle of their lives, and it's a very spiritual battle. Would that prayer my walk through the shadow of death be good for this subject? And is that the, the what did you say? I walked through the shadow of death. Psalm 23? Yeah, I can't so, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Absolutely. Now, think about that scripture with me, the, the 23rd Psalm. Who's it written for? We believe David wrote it, King David, shepherd boy. We believe he wrote it. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. He, he knows he's a shepherd. He's grown up as a shepherd. But he says, you know what? The real, the real shepherd is my Lord. My, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall have nothing I'm ever in need for. Okay? I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What does that mean? He, he, he provides everything. I mean, green, if you're a sheep, man, a green pasture. Yeah. Especially in Israel. My goodness, all those rocks and very <laughs> little tufts of grass here and there. But, man, a green pasture, wow. You know, for a sheep, that's, that's heaven. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Still waters are peaceful. They're tranquil. I don't have to worry. They feed my soul. Leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Very next line. Okay. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, what is the valley of the shadow of death is something we need to ask. Mm -hmm. Is it just a physical valley in Israel that they had to walk through? Or is it all it, of our trials and tribulations? Absolutely. It's the whole of life. It's not. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just because our loved one died and we've entered this valley of the shadow of death. i got news for you. We're born in the valley of the shadow of death. We're born into the valley of the shadow. This life is the valley of the shadow of death because it has over it the shadow of death until, until we come to Christ. Because in Christ, there's no more death. There's no more dying. Remember John 5, 24. Remember, I always bring you back to John 5, 24. Do you think you'll know your husband or your wives or your cousins? Or your sure you will. Know them differently, but know them. Mm -hmm. Know them differently, but know them. Okay, it won't be the same because life is, it's the kingdom, so it it's glorified. Won't be, won't be labeled as husband and wife the way we need a husband and wife here. But we will definitely know each other and have each other. But, but come back to John 5, 24. What does it say? Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, meaning God the Father, has eternal life and does not come into death but is passed out of death into life. When do we leave the valley of the shadow of death? When we believe in Christ. Okay? Now we are... In his green pasture. This is the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom of God on earth. Not in its final form, but his kingdom has come. Steve Green wrote a song called, When His Kingdom Comes. Oh, what a difference. When all has been settled and my heart is his throne. Oh, what a difference when his kingdom comes. You see, that is eternal life. Yes, I see the hand. I would put them in the sect like the Mormons. <laughs> I would put them in the sect like the Mormons. Well, well they, they're... They, they, uh, one time, at one time, they don't do it anymore. Uh, they was walking around in my neighborhood on my street, and, and they came knocking on my door, and I opened up the door, and I didn't want to be rude to them. I said, don't, uh, I said, don't get out yeah, yeah. right good for you don't be rude don't be rude to anyone that's good but they're still out there they're, 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 they're and hear hear me carefully they're lovely people they're misguided but they're lovely people okay mm -hmm. good 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 for you one time when I was in Texas my ex-father-in-law's boss was Jehovah's Witness therefore I had to study with the Jehovah's Witness and I was raised in Nazarene 
church. And so I kind of like did it, you know. But she told me one day that you will not go to heaven. And I still today don't know if I was wrong or not. I said that there's the doors to your way out. Don't let the door, you know. Well, always, always treat them with kindness and respect. Oh, always, yeah. always treat them with kindness and respect. I didn't want to okay? You can agree to differ, but always treat them with kindness but and respect. But she was arguing with me about the Jews, not the Jews. <coughs> and I, and yeah, you don't win arguments with I people. Just, yeah, you don't win arguments with people. It was too complicated. We let the Spirit of God argue for us. Okay, the Spirit of God. Okay, we agree to disagree. God bless you. See you later. I'll pray for you. You probably you should that you have family members. Oh, sure. I've had family members in Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let me come back. We've got three minutes, and I want to I want to come back to this thought, this closing thought of Christ's presence in our world as the Holy Spirit comes. And uh, this is by Saint Augustine. I'm going to give you the words of Saint Augustine from the fourth century. I want to give you the idea, John Chrysostom from the <coughs> late the late fourth century. Augustine says this. Jesus said that he had to go away for the Holy Spirit to come, not because of any inequality between Jesus as the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, but because that the presence of the Son of Man among them would impede the coming of the Spirit, for the Holy Spirit did not humble himself as Jesus did, taking on the form of a servant. That's what I was saying a minute ago. Jesus is, when we see Jesus, they saw Jesus as the humble servant. They're going to see the Holy Spirit as the power of God. Okay. Okay? Now, Chrysostom said this, St. John Chrysostom. But why does Jesus say, I will send him? What it means is, I will prepare you beforehand to receive him. For how can that which is everywhere be sent? Okay, in addition... He shows the distinction between the persons. Jesus is carefully, again, all through John, there's Trinitarian theology all through John. They're distinct persons. The Holy Spirit is distinct from Jesus. They're not one and the same, but yet they have the same essence. But they have different persons within the triune Godhead. Okay? And Jesus is showing that. I will send him. Okay? Now, uh, and he's also saying that... Uh, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Jesus is not denying that. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. But I have a specific pur- purpose to send him into your hearts. Now, uh, the last thing I want to read to you is by Cyril, St. Cyril of Alexandria in that same relative time period, one of the early church fathers. He said this, After Jesus Christ had completed his mission on earth, which was the cross, right? After he completed his mission on earth, and resurrected, it still remained necessary that we should become partakers and sharers of his divine nature, the divine nature of the word. We had to give up our own life to be so transformed that we would begin to live an entirely new kind of life that would be pleasing to God. However, this was something we could only do by sharing in the Holy Spirit. I think this is one of the most important points of this passage in John. Mm -hmm. As long as Jesus was here physically, we could not share and become partakers of his Holy Spirit. 
when he was removed physically, he sent the Holy Spirit to where? To just wander through the world? No, he's already in the world. He's, you know, he's everywhere. He sent him to rest upon and in those who would believe. That's what the day of Pentecost is about. When you come to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come down into the world in all these natural phenomena. He comes into people. Okay? The Holy Spirit has always been in the world. Okay? And the Holy Spirit has always been with whoever God gave him to. Like Moses and Abraham and King David. I mean, he gave the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to specific people at specific times all throughout the history of God's people. But now, because of Christ's death over, uh, his conquering the grave, his death, and conquering sin, now we can be partakers of his divine nature. And anyone who will can partake of the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is surrender. That's the power of the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of why Christ had to leave this world physically. Isn't that when they started, um, like, the Pentecost when they started speaking in tongues? As growing up in a Nazarene, I don't think we ever believed speaking in tongues, but there are um, religions that do speak in tongues, so it was, at some point in time, it did happen. Yes, the tongues were a manifestation of the Spirit, and it is, Scripture teaches, a gift of the Spirit. We cannot deny that it is a gift of the Spirit. We just don't teach that it's the gift we have to have. Right. Okay. There's yeah. many. Debbie, you had a thought? So at the second coming, when he takes his family home, the Holy Spirit will go too? The Holy Spirit will leave this world? <clears throat> well, the world will be transformed. Nobody leaves. Yeah. The, the reality is that the whole world is transformed, and there's a new earth and a new heaven. Okay. So second coming of Christ, then, it isn't that we'll be going to the heavens. Here, here, here's what here's what's here's what's here's what here's what we need to get used to. A new world. Okay, this world will be transformed. Okay, we're not going anywhere. It, it looks like we're going somewhere. Okay. Okay. But the truth is, we come. He, what, he, when he comes again at his second coming, he comes right back here, <laughs> and we don't understand the cosmic. Uh, we don't understand all of the cosmic. Uh, changes this world will go through. You know, the book of Revelation, John, this very author, teaches there's a ball of fire and the world will burn up and things. We know that apocalyptic literature is filled with hyperbolic type of words that, that can have various different meanings, okay, to, to for effect. But we know that Jesus said, Behold, I am making all things new at the end of the book. So and there will be a new heaven, a new earth. Go ahead. Christians will go through all the tribulations. Um, that's a bigger question than I can answer at, 2000, at 1203, but let me give you my short version of it. My short version is we're in the tribulation now. Yeah. I believe. We've been we in the tribulation. We're in the end times. Yeah, that's a view. Okay, that's one of many views. That's a prevalent view in evangelical Protestant Christianity. That I would even say that's the prevalent view. But I will tell you this. In the scheme of things, that's a very new view. It's only in the last couple of hundred years that anybody ever viewed that. If you look at historic Christian faith, the whole idea of the seven-year tribulation and then the Antichrist comes or the rapture comes at the beginning of it, 
all of that, that's a view. And it's not the historic view of the church. So we have, it's our historic view sometimes because you grew up in the church of Nazarene, you grew up evangelical, and this is what you were taught was the gospel truth. I mean, trust me, pastors and teachers and preachers have taught it as the gospel truth. But when you begin to step back a little bit and learn more about how to, how to see scripture, someday we'll get there. We'll do the book of Revelation someday. We'll get there. That's going to be a big one. Okay. <laughs> I kind of took them out of order, didn't I? But, uh, but I will tell you this. We've gotten to where we've done a lot of the New Testament already. And, and, and maybe Revelation will be next. I don't know where we'll go after John. <laughs> Same author. Maybe we should. But I will tell you this. I don't subscribe to that view. Okay. I, do, I believe this world is in tribulation now. I believe we've always been in tribulation. I, I'm not looking for one Antichrist. I believe there are many Antichrists. John says that in the book of 1 John. If you go back and listen, I'm not sure they're all on the podcast, but if you go back and listen to the book of 1 John, because I need to upload a bunch of old stuff ever since I switched podcast carriers. The book of 1 John, I touch on this and do talk about it because it comes up in his view of the... Uh, of their, he says right in that book, he says, there are many Antichrists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but good, good place to stop. John 16, we're leaving off uh, verse 11. So in verse 12, we're going to hear Jesus say, I have many things to say to you. Okay, I'd like to say that to you right now. I have many things to say to you about all of these subjects, but you don't have the time, nor do I. But God is good, and he will be with us next week. God willing, we'll be here again next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love that comes to us to to bring your Holy Spirit to our life, to our world, to our hearts. Help us, Father, to meditate on this thought that we surrender all to the power of your Holy Spirit, to the wisdom and the guidance and the comfort that that brings to our lives. Help us to live in that path, the path of your Spirit. Be with us now as we leave this place until we meet again. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit as one God forever and ever, and unto the ages of ages. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.